Welcome to the Security Serengeti, where your hosts, David Schwindinger and Matthew Keener. Stop what you're doing, subscribe to our podcast, leave us a phenomenal five-star review, and follow us at SerengetiSec on Twitter. We're here to talk about cybersecurity and technology news headlines, and hopefully provide some insight and analysis and practical application that you can take into the office to help protect your organization. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are ours and ours alone and do not reflect the views or opinions of our employers. And thankfully, it has just come to light that the government shutdown of 2019 was actually just to cover up for EncoChat's shutdown, preventing the uh, Congress from doing coordination. I am not surprised. So just as an FYI to anybody listening to this, I'm going to put this at the beginning rather than the end because I know I don't listen to the ending of podcasts. <laughs> Turn them off with like three minutes left when it starts to get, when they start to wind down. But we are taking a summer vacation for the two weeks following this. We will be back in your feed, I think one week, two weeks, three weeks from whenever you're listening to this. As a side note, uh, I went and checked and we actually do have one five-star review on Apple Podcasts. No way. Yeah. There's How so much did you listen. pay for that? <laughs> I didn't do it. What? <laughs> it's not me. Oh, come on now. I, although maybe I will. Maybe I'll go in there and talk about <laughs> this podcast has the two smartest people I have ever heard in my life. They're both handsome and intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> now you know that it's just lies. Uh, all right. For our number one article today, JP Morgan accidentally deletes evidence in multi-million record retention screw-up back from the register. This one's a little bit, a little bit less saucy than some of theirs. They're, they've been pretty blasé recently. So here from the article, quote, JP Morgan has been fined $4 million by the SEC for deleting 47 million electronic communications records from about 8,700 electronic mailboxes covering the period January 1st through April 23rd, 2018. <laughs> That were required to be retained under the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 that related to its Chase Bank subsidiary, end quote. Oh my God, that is a long sentence. Well, actually, that's an amalgamation of several quotes from the was it two I together. Thought, yeah. That was like the first sentence of the article. No. Oh, damn it. <laughs> they had that was... that, they, no, they had that spread over about four sentences and I combined them together to make it flow better. I thought it was a direct quote. <laughs> no. If it had been a direct quote, it would have been better, obviously. Well, I was about to say, I was like, damn, they packed a lot of information. Usually articles no, spread that stuff like, out. <laughs> that's the gist of the whole article. And I was able to boil it down <laughs> to one sentence. Wow. All right. Well, so looking more details from that summary. <laughs> Supposedly, the company had a project that was supposed to delete older communications and documents that they were not required to keep. I imagine the ones that were more than three years old. But there was a, quote, glitch and documents that were supposed to be deleted were not, and documents and communications that were not supposed to be deleted were. That Dude, is it's like Superman 2. Strange coinkydink. <laughs> so apparently when the documents were not deleted as expected, the corporate compliance technology team ran a series of deletion tasks across large swaths of communications and documents. They thought that there was supposed to be a safeguard that would prevent data from being deleted if it was not supposed to be deleted. But that setting was not applied to the chase domain. So all of the things they ran their commands on were deleted. Oopsie. This was reported to the SEC in 2020. Yeah. Well, it's helped to know that the internal of that team is known as the cleaners. I was no, just, just thinking, like, doesn't <laughs> it make kidding. you doesn't it make you <laughs> compliant if all the evidence of your criminal wrongdoing is deleted? <laughs> By either definition, this team was doing what it was supposed to. 
<laughs> I'm kidding. That's not, that's not true, but it wouldn't be funny. But JP Morgan blamed an unnamed archiving vendor that, that it hired to handle storage for its communications. So yeah, wasn't our fault. That guy did it. I mean, this is the whole reason that companies hire contractors and vendors for everything, right? Because they can just push off blame for darn near everything. So well, it'd be interesting to see if they tried to recoup their $4 million from the vendor saying, this is your fault, cost us $4 million. Mm. You know, that's one ivory back scratcher for our executive. That'd be like getting double paid because I'm sure they're going to be patting themselves on the back for the many millions of dollars in fines they're not going to have to pay for this. <laughs> But anyways, so the specific requirement is that broker dealers have to preserve all communications received and copies of all sent for three years. Well, this also meant that according to the SEC, yeah, in at least 12 civil securities related regulation inve investigations, eight of which were conducted by the commission staff, JP Morgan received subpoenas and document requests for communications which could not be retrieved or produced because they'd been deleted permanently. You know, I'm just wondering, is this like standard or is JP Morgan this heinous that they've got 12 investigations going on at once? Uh, I guess to answer that question though, you'd have to know how many other investigations were not impacted. These specific deletions were over a four month time frame in 2018. There were 32 other, they're required to keep these documents for 36 months. There's 32 other months. Were those 12 investigations that were impacted like for the whole period or were they just for this little four month time period? Like, were there more investigations for other time periods that were not impacted? Like without so knowing like, that. Yeah. So there's like 76 investigations <laughs> going on, but only 12 were impacted. Well, that's, that's the question, right? Like why this four month period? I, I'm dying to know why the, uh, why they told. Was there like a manager that's like, hmm, that's strange. The deletion test didn't run. I know. Let's test the issue. And they're like, oh, where should we go test it? The emails from January to April in 2019 would be a great place for us to validate this problem. And then he went to someone else and was like, hey, I need you to disable the setting on. Hang on. Yeah, I'm super. This looks so suspicious to me. Let's say you go into the, you go into the. The, the break room at the SEC and there's a go, there's a retirement party for some guy and it's like Bob is retiring retiring from our JP Morgan investigation <laughs> after 20 years. <laughs> Where are you going next, Bob? Oh, nothing. And the next week he shows up getting a big old paycheck in. Yeah. Look at our new so, director of compliance, it's Bob. <laughs> yeah, with a six figure paycheck, multi. Probably have more than. Anyways, so you asked about whether they're that heinous. I took five minutes to Google J.P. Morgan and investigation. And I'm not including all these in the show notes because there's actually a Wikipedia page. To, I didn't include, there's a Wikipedia page that lists most of these. <laughs> but they're being sued here now in 2023 because they maintained a relationship with Jeffrey Epstein for years after dropping him as a client in 2013. 2013, I'll point out, was I think seven years after he was charged and went to jail for soliciting an underage prostitute. And the suit says they were actively enabling him to continue the crimes. Uh, they have internal emails. They say joking about how much they like he liked young, young girls, as as if that's a fucking thing. A joke you should joke about. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's a yeah. pedophile. Oh, isn't that funny? Well, I. Yeah, I, I got nothing there. In 2021, they admitted to widespread record keeping failures and had to pay 125 million to the SEC. 
In 2020, they agreed to pay $920 million, quote, in connection with schemes to defraud precious metals in U.S. Treasuries market. So just over the last three years, I'd say maybe they really are that heinous. Uh, billion dollars in fines? Yeah, it's standard. <laughs> it's nothing. It's built into their profit margins. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So my second question now after the heinous one is, is $4 million more or less than what they would have been fined for those 12 million investigations, for those 12 investigations? 12 million. I don't know, but for, for a frame of reference, J.P. Morgan Chase made $48.3 billion last is year. That in, is that revenue or is that profit? That's profit. Oh my God. So they paid like a one one thousandth, less than one one thousandth of their profit. So 0.01% fine for this. Oh my God. That's assuming my math is correct. No guarantee on that. Oh boy. Criminals are idiots. You can go to jail for robbing a bank, but if you own a business and you cheat on your business stuff, you get like a tiny fine. Yeah. So I also find it weird how often mistakes like this favor the corporation. This is very similar in my mind to when a cop turns off their body camera. If there's evidence of evidence destruction, shouldn't you just assume guilt for whenever the evidence was destroyed? Well, you can at least use that as as, as something to influence a decision. Yeah. I don't know if you could call it evidence. But I mean, if if so if we really if we really gave them a massive fine for this, like four billion dollars was the fine. And we said, you know, if your records aren't there to prove you didn't do it, we're just going to assume you did it. I think we'd see a change in behavior real quick. Same thing with cops. Just turn off your camera and someone gets shot. Like, we're going to assume that you were guilty of whatever the other people said. Like, the camera is your way of proving you're innocent. Yeah, I think that that's the thing is that the, the punishments are not proportional for large corporations. You know, I've often thought that, you know, there's there's the the stuff about how Companies will say, well, is it worth, you know, is, is the expense in paying off families for dead people worth the trade-off in whatever we're doing? You know, like, like the, in Fight Club, he says that he works for the, for a car manufacturer and he determines, you know, is it going to be more expensive to do a recall yeah. to fix the problem or pay the lawsuits for the deaths that result from it? And I've thought, you know, in situations where corporations kill people, I think the death penalty be te- penalty ought to be a viable option for results of these these companies instead of just fines. In which case, they 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 basically put the company into bankruptcy and sell off all their assets, and actually put the company to death for instances <laughs> where they've killed people instead of just fining them. That way, that trade off is actually realistic to say, oh, do we kill people or do we destroy the entire company? That's the trade-off. Instead of just saying, oh, well, is it worth four million to do the recall? Or, you know, is it is it, you know, less than that in order to pay up pay off the the people who die, the families for the people who die. Mm-hmm. And this is just another, I think this is a similar instance where, you know, it's just not proportional. Yep. I agree with that. So now JP Morgan says that extra coding is now going to be applied to mailboxes, which are subject to legal holds, which is required as soon as legal action starts. Oh, I stole yours. Sorry. No, they, they said that they applied that coding, but it didn't work. 
There was uh, there was something in the article that said that and, some stuff was not deleted because there was some legal hold thing that actually did work. I'll have to double check because I tried to find that because I thought it said that originally too and I couldn't find it. So maybe I just misread the article. No, yeah, I see the um, paragraph it says in addition. But, but it says that they put these legal holds on there and then in the next paragraph below that it says, oh, it, it didn't work. Okay, reality turns to be otherwise, yeah. But these are, this is standard. So I'm wondering what kind of, you know, ram, ramshackle software they're running over there because it's not 0365, it's not G Suite. Because both those have mechanisms for dealing in with dealing with e-discovery and legal holds, and maybe that is why they don't run that <laughs> software and they have their own in-house stuff, is so they can have these <laughs> these oopsies, as you put it, say, oh, well, we made a mistake and you know we weren't able to retain that, and they have a viable excuse. Yeah. So J.P. Morgan just just reminded me where you mentioned talking about building their own. They're the ones who have that Wadu thing we talked about a couple of weeks from months oh, ago about right, tracking right. employee yep. attendance and Zoom calls and emails. Yeah, but yeah, so, but that's not available to the SEC apparently. <laughs> they have all that. Yeah. All right. So why does this matter? As much as compliance is boring and nobody wants to do it, it can have a financial impact on the company when not done correctly. Although. In this case, they may have saved the company money. I wonder if someone's going to put that on their performance goals at the end of the year. <laughs> Save the company $600 million. And oh, genius. <laughs> but that leads us right into another heinous organization. <laughs> a U.S. intelligence has amassed <laughs> sensitive and intimate details on nearly everyone. This is from Gizmodo. So a newly declassified report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, confirms that the government gets a ton of information from us, from our smartphones, cars, browser history, and other technology. And, but, and they recently declassified this report, which was actually created over a year ago in January 2022. Uh, smartphones and other devices collect an incredible array of information on us. On us. You know, they can find out our habits, our choices, where our movements are, and all this information is compiled and companies sell this stuff for profit in what the government calls commercial, commercially available information. And of course, because the government has an acronym, acronym for it, that means they buy it. So companies aren't just selling that to other companies. But this report was based on a 90-day assessment by an advisory panel that was started at the behest of Oregon's, Oregon Senator Ron Wyden. And in the report, it states today in a way that far few Americans seem to understand and even fewer of them can avoid. Commercially available information includes information on nearly everyone that is of a type and level of sensitivity that historically could have been, could have been attained, if at all, only through targeted and predicated collection. So some of the things that the report says that they could infer from the information that's collected is religious practices, uh, political views, the travel, medical information, social associations, purchase history, speech activities, sexual behavior, which is kind of startling the amount of information they can get from that they're basically purchasing from these companies. And who in the government is purchasing this? The 
the DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, Department of Defense, the Coast Guard, the Coast Navy, Guard, the what CIA, the they need the FBI, uh, the National Security Agency, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Treasury Department. And the tre- what? Like some of these make sense. Like I can see NSA, CIA, DIA, but like, what the hell does the Treasury Department and the Coast Guard and Navy need with? Well, the the IRS is part of the Treasury. So I think that's a clear reason right there. But none of the apply. above things included, like, how much money did they cheat on their taxes? Well, maybe you can infer that through their travel and purchase histories. <laughs> yeah, they reported $30,000 in income and but, they're spending $800,000 a year. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, what you say makes sense actually doesn't make sense because these are Americans. Now, why is the CIA purchasing, any, purchasing anything about Americans? That's fair. And related to this, in 2017, the FBI paid a total of $6 million for NetFlow information from a company, a company called Team Simru. Aren't they a Russian hacking group? Apparently not. I could because the CEO oh. is a guy named Rabbi Rob Thomas. And he is apparently a member of the Tor Project's board of directors. Like, hmm. The FBI and the Tor Project? Coincidence? Together. I don't think so. But after this came to light, the Tor, the Tor Project separated from, severed this relationship with this organization. In other words, they got caught, so now they got to come up with a different front company for the FBI to work on the Tor browser. Uh, but because this data is considered publicly available... There are no standards or restrictions on how this information should be acquired, used, or kept secure. Uh, none, none of the publicly available commercial data is currently classified as sensitive in an official capacity, uh, which is interesting, let's say. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder, uh, does it, isn't, aren't there certain types of government data where... The data itself is not too sensitive, but it can be combined with other stuff and therefore it's classified at a higher sensitivity level. There, That's only the case when they actually do the combination and then classify it. Oh, okay. Because it's possible, and I've seen it, where you take multiple open source pieces of information, put them into a report, and then classify that report. Gotcha. Uh, All right. So basically, the entire report, the uh, information in the entire report is available but the fact that it's put together classifies it, according to some people. I think it's ridiculous personally, but I have seen that done before. Now, there, to quote the report, there is, a, there is today a large and growing amount of CAI that is available to the general public. And this is as if you or I could just go and get this information. How, yeah, I went looking for it and I couldn't find it. Nothing immediately jumped out at me as a way to get this type of information. Well, what also is is bullshit about this, and this is included in the report, commercially available information also includes information for exclusive government use, knowing and voluntarily, voluntar- voluntarily provided, procured from, or made accessible by corporate entities at the request of the government entity or on their own initiative. So in other words, some of this data is only available to government from companies because of their relationship with the government. Either the government asks them for it or 
the government or the company provides it just because they think the government should have it. And those are the only people that the the companies give the information to. It's not commercially or publicly available because they only give it to the government. So that that basically points out that this entire thing is bullshit. So under Carpenter versus the United States, uh, the acquisition of persistent location information and perhaps other detailed information concerning one person by law enforcement from communications communication providers is a fourth amendment search and generally requires probable cause. Uh, and further down in the report, it says, however, the same type of information on millions of Americans op is openly for sale to the general public. As such, the intelligence community policies treat the information as uh, PI, pay, PAI, which is publicly available information, and IC elements can purchase it. You know, I thought the intelligence community was just for spying on everybody else and not Americans. <laughs> and when they say that I see elements, it, it's it's a good thing to note that according to the FBI's website, quote, the FBI is an intelligence-driven and threat-focused national security organization with both intelligence and law enforcement responsibilities. It is the principal investigation investigative arm of the U.S. Department of Justice and a full member of the U.S. intelligence community. Well, this is certainly helpful to get around all those silly things, um, silly amendment protections about search and seizure. Yeah. So the FBI is, thinks that, oh, well, in our capacity, in the intelligence community, we don't need Fourth Amendment. We don't need to follow the Fourth Amendment. Now, the article, the article says that the intelligence community is working to develop additional standards and procedures for commercially available information, according to a phone call that they, that they had with someone about the report, which is ridiculous. I mean, they will say this as long as 702 is up for renewal, but the second that passes, you can forget about it. The, the report goes on to say, even subject to appropriate controls, CAI can increase the power of the government's ability to peer into the private lives to levels that many that may exceed our constitutional traditions or other social expectations. Exceeds our constitutional traditions. As if the Constitution is just a list of norms rather than the fucking law. You know, it's unlawful for the government to collect this information without a warrant, regardless of where they get it from whether they spy on you to get it or they buy it. The Fourth Amendment says the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable search and seizures shall not be violated and no warrants issued but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the places to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. It's plain. This is just bullshit that they excuses that they use to get around actually limiting their power i mean it's what i just said like they don't understand the fourth amendment because it keeps them from uh expanding their power i don't think it's they don't understand they just don't give a shit and, and the and also mentioned in the report is oh well this can be purchased by anybody including our adversaries you know, they say that, but as we mentioned before, there's some of this stuff 
that they will only sell to the U.S. government. So that's not entirely accurate either. But I think it it it's put in there to make us afraid. I was about to say, like, it's not like the Chinese and other uh, other even non-state actors haven't demonstrated the ability to get into pretty much any company they really want to, whenever they want to. Well, Senator yeah, made a statement Monday in response to the release of this. He obviously saw this, you know, last year. But since this has been made public, he made a statement of, if the government can buy its way around the Fourth Amendment due process, there will be few meaningful limits on government surveillance. And that's kind of like the bottom line statement for, and it pretty much sums up, you know, my tirade right there. And yeah. a, the article says that Wyden and other senators induced, introduced uh, legislation in 22 uh, uh, or prevent data brokers from selling information on health, location, other sensitive stuff. That was in Senate Bill 4408, and there was a related House bill of H.R. 9161. The first one, the Senate bill introduced in June of 22, referred to the Senate Committee on Science and Transportation, and that's all that happened. And the same thing with the House bill. It got referred to the House Energy uh, and Commerce Committee. Uh, and it's been languishing there ever since, or is pretty much dead because it never went anything, it never went beyond those committees. And why this is important is the government power only expands. As Bob Higgs put it in Crisis and, and Leviathan, calling it the ratchet effect, the government gets more powerful in a crisis, but never retreats to pre crisis levels after the crisis has passed. And the government is already using this kind of information in criminal prosecutions to get around the Fourth Amendment in something called parallel construction, where the law enforcement gets information from the from the intelligence community, then they make up a story about how they got the information because it was obtained through illegal means in order to use that information or that evidence in criminal proceedings. So you mentioned the ratchet effect and the crisis items. Actually, this made me think of national emergencies. So as of April 2023, I'm checking the Wikipedia page, 80 national emergencies have been declared, 39 have expired, and 41 are currently in effect. Holy cow, uh, what's the oldest one? So the oldest, well, so the oldest national emergency declared was by President Wilson in 1917. <laughs> no, and it's still in effect today. Man. No, 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 it's not. I know, I know, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. But okay. then the next one wasn't until 1933. Then the next one wasn't until 1939. So like there's many years, a decade be between the first one, and then they get faster and faster. Mm -hmm. They're 1950 and 1970, two decades between them. But then there were three in the 1970s. Then there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven in the 1980s. <laughs> Are you seeing this, this graph going up and up and up? No, it's uh, like so the national debt. <laughs> it's going up in lockstep with it. So the oldest current one is from President Carter, November 14th, 1979. It is blocking Iranian government property, freezing of Iranian assets as part of the response to the Iran hostage crisis. Holy uh, cow. Which is over, but those I assume those assets are still frozen because, of course, Iran is part of the axis of evil. Well, I think part of the, the JCPOA, the, what was it, the Joint Resolution 
Mm-hmm. Forget that. What the authorization is. for force or something like that? No, no, no. no. Huh? This is the agreement with Iran uh, that Obama undertook in 2015. Part of that agreement was for them to get that stuff back. Mm, gotcha. uh, but before the agreement was implemented, Trump came in and threw it out. So that stuff is still, we still have their stuff. So, all right. So here's another interesting one from Bush, June 26, 2001. Intended it's blocking property of persons who threaten international stabilization efforts in the Western Balkans. Intended to combat extremist Albanian insurgents operating in North Macedonia. Macedonia. Why is that still active? 22 years later. The one after September. Why is Albania an emergency for us? Yeah. The September 14th, 2001 declaration of national emergency by reason of certain terrorist attacks is still active. Certain terrorist attacks? Certain terrorist attacks. Oh, here's a good one. March 6, 2003, also from Bush. Bush uses this a lot. There's a lot in here for Bush. Blocking property of persons undermining democratic democratic processes or institutions in Zimbabwe. Oh, that's also that's definitely a national emergency. Yeah, yeah, for us for sure. There's Ivory Coast, Liberia, Belarus, Congo. Yeah, Bush did one of these for a whole bunch of different economic sanctions on officials in other countries. Oh, here's the Alexander Lukashenko one. That was the Belarus one. So yeah, so that just just more more more. I guess, illustration of what you're talking about here. Whenever something happens, the government cranks up the power to handle it, and then they never never dial it back down. Yeah, It may, it may slip a little bit, but never goes back to pre-crisis levels ever. And of course, what you can do about it, the best thing you can do, write your congressman. They listen. I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, use encryption, use VPNs. Don't take your phone everywhere. Don't tell your life story in social media. Basically, you try to limit the amount of information that they can get. But of course, this is hard, just as they mentioned in, in actually in the report, that it's difficult for them not to get this information from you because di- our digital lives are so intertwined in our physical lives that it's hard to separate the two. I uh, actually wonder if it would be worthwhile, like, seeding s- your information with false information like deliberately putting specific things in that aren't true. I don't know if that would, I don't know if that matter enough. Maybe that could be a new service from Uber. <laughs> where do they just take your phone for a while and drive around with it <laughs> and then bring it back? Yeah. Also, as a side note, speaking on not telling your life story on social media, we're about to talk about that a little bit. Our third article is Chat. I think that's how it's pronounced. Dismantling led to 6,558 arrests and the seizure of $979 million in criminal funds. This is from Security Affairs. Security Affairs. Legend. So Security Affairs had the article with the most data, but I also included in the show notes an article from Graham Cluley, which had a much more readable version. I think the Security Affairs one was written by someone who is not, English is not their first language, so there was some, it was difficult to read. So history. In March 2020, so this actually happened several years ago. They just find they released their final tally this month, which is why it's showing up now. French and Dutch police agencies hacked EncroChat, a very popular encrypted chat network. They had begun investigating it in 2017 after they found the phones following, you know, arrests. And they were like, what is this? Uh, starting in July 2020, they began arresting folks based on the results of the investigations and hacking. And this month they had a press conference to announce the final results. 
Uh, EncroChat was a service that sold you a phone with an encrypted chat program and phone program for 250 Great Britain pounds a month. At its height, it had 60,000 monthly users, which according to the cops were mostly criminals, which is interesting because usually like cops would be like, it's all criminals. This time they said mostly. And I wonder who the non-criminals were and why they needed an encrypted phone for 250 pounds a month. Yeah, that's pretty pricey. Yeah. I wonder how many of them were like rich people to talk with their mistresses or just people who were like, oh yeah, this is cool. If the phone had like a tactical case. How do you even hear about that? You know? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Not like they're advertising on TV. So the phone also had a panic button that wiped the phone. You had to put in a four-digit code to wipe it. And it had remote wipe capability as well. EncroChat actually discovered the hack in June, June 13th, 2020, which was pretty, I think they started the actual hacking in early in March. March 2020. So yeah, so they discovered it after only a couple months and urged customers to get rid of the phones. Yeah, three months to discover a compromise. That's pretty standard. I Yeah, I think that's better than a lot of companies. I'm, I'm curious how they discovered it, but they didn't give us any information about that. So in July 2020, right pretty quickly after that, the government announced they'd shut down the servers and arrested 746 suspects. But like I said, this month, the final tally was 6,558. So over the three years since then, they've arrested an additional almost 6,000 folks. They also seized, and there's a couple ones here, 30.5 million pills. So that is a hell of a rave. 103.5 <laughs> tons of cocaine. And when David and I talked about this before, all I could picture was Scrooge McDuck, like diving through pools of cocaine, like gold coin. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even believe. And 163 tons of cannabis. There was almost as much cocaine as cannabis. Is is cocaine that popular? I guess. Oh, wow. I, I got nothing here. 3.3 tons of heroin, which I was kind of shocked that there was so little heroin. I don't know. I think the get more high per ounce with the heroin than the others, maybe. And maybe. it could also be a fact of, I don't think you could shoot heroin every day oh. and still survive. There's only one way to find out. Come back in three <laughs> weeks for an investigation. <laughs> you want to do the heroin or do you want to do the cocaine? Let's flip a coin. <laughs> they also got 923 weapons with 21,750 rounds of ammo. It'd be a hell of a range day. Discussion points. As usual, cops are an idiot. They didn't try to break into the individual phones. That would be tough. So they went for the route. This and other incidents where law enforcement takes over the illegal marketplaces certainly shows us their tactics. They want to get into the, they want to get control where they can see what's going on. So does this mean we're encouraging you to be criminals? Of course not. But the tactics are going to be mimicked by other government agencies. If you're someone who values privacy at all, That is antithetical to what the government wants. They want to see everything at all times. There's multiple OPSEC lessons here. David just mentioned in the last one about keeping your social life uh, offline. One user was caught because they sent a picture of their dog and the dog had, the the, the pet tag had a phone number. I find it amusing that a apparent criminal went ahead and got their pet registered number. It's the law, uh, you know. It's the law, you know. Although, you know what? That kind of makes sense. Like, if you're a criminal, you probably don't want to be breaking the small laws. Right. how embarrassing would it be to get pulled over for a broken taillight and they find, you know, 103 tons of cocaine and you're in the back of your Miata. <laughs> Another user was caught because they sent a picture of Stilton Blue Cheese that included his fingertips. I didn't know that we could now pull fingerprints off of pictures. 
Well, apparently your the smartphone cameras are ridiculously good, I guess. I wow. I didn't know that was a thing. I will I will try not to take pictures of my fingers anymore. <laughs> so if you have an untraceable device or something like this, don't do traceable things on it. In a lot of these cases, I mean there there were sixty thousand users of this and they only arrested sixty five hundred. People who kept good OPSEC, who didn't do traceable things on their untraceable devices, did not get arrested. Yeah. That's kind of like people who will run a VPN and then log into a mail client or Oof. something over the VPN. So they'll yeah. log into something that ties their, you know, them to that, that whatever goes on in that VPN. Yeah. I mean, it depends on your threat model. Like, are you trying to get them to just not listen into your conversations on that traffic? That's probably fine. But if you're trying to be completely anonymous online, yeah, you can't log into anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about this for Tails because for a while I was thinking about buying a laptop with Tails and I was thinking about how I would do it. I was like, all right, so I need to buy it in cash. I probably want to buy it off of like Craigslist or something, like buy a cheap laptop off Craigslist so that there'd be no store record of it. I'd wipe it completely and then I'd have to install Tails or I'd use a, a USB key for Tails and I would could never sign on to it from my home network because that would, like that way I'd be there. You'd have to go in to coffee shops and stuff but then you've got like a range of coffee shops like if you were doing something heinous that they could track you down and be like all right they're somewhere within this 10 mile radius because they're always at a coffee shop within here their house is probably somewhere in here mm. it's it's mm. tough it's really tough to be completely untraceable but you know if you're if you're going to be a criminal or or if you're going to be a revolutionary that's anyways so i'm also curious about why criminals were buying a whole separate headset instead of using telegram or signal i mean Signal is pretty devoted to the privacy thing. Telegram, we're not 100% sure. And also, I mean, it makes it worth if it's, if it's even worth using an encrypted service at all. It definitely seems to put a target on the back for government intervention. Is it better to use an unencrypted service in coded language? Oh. No, I, wouldn't, I would think that you still wanted to use encryption. I think, what, I mean, the ultimate problem here is that there was a centralized thing. You know, it wasn't end-to-end encrypted uh, you know there was still something in the middle which allowed them to to intercept all this traffic because as long as your encryption is so strong end-to-end -end encryption is still not going to be intercepted and they still have to go to each individual thing i think the failure here is the fact that you're relying onto us on a service you know something in the middle i mean coded coded language will only get you so far you know if they relying on keyword searches or something like that and even then with the the rise of AI, AI might be able to be able to figure out what your coded words mean if it's not, you know, totally ambiguous or yeah. random. So it sounds so it sounds like you'll if you want to still use encrypted services, you probably want to be on like a mass market one where there's just a metric ton of stuff happening. Yeah, and is end to end. And you know, like -end. Yeah. for instance, if you're using iMessage, you know that still goes through. Apple servers and they manage the keys. It may be end and end encrypted, but they could still intercept that because they're managing the keys on both sides of that conversation. So, but you with something like Signal or Threema or Threema, Signal or Threema or something like that, where you don't have central management of the keys, that would be different. Yeah. It also, I did see that it took them three years to notice EncroChat and then break into it. So maybe there's a window of opportunity as well for each new you know, type of encrypted chat before it gets well known enough to draw attention. 
Yeah, that's one thing I wasn't clear is how long that was in existence. You know, whether Anchor Chat had been running for years before they finally discovered it in 2017, or if it popped onto the scene in 2017, they started investigating right away ever since, or something like that. 16 is when it came out. So it took them about a year to notice it, and then about another three years to break into it. Yeah, so not a lot, really. Yeah. So I did find they did have a breakdown of what people were arrested for. And I found this kind of interesting because in cybersecurity, we're super focused on ransomware and other computer specific crimes. So it's kind of a shock to see the breakdown of crimes here. I'm sure cybercrime falls under organized crime, which was only about a third of the total arrests at 34.8%. The other interesting ones were drug trafficking was 33.29%. I guess it's not really a surprise. Money laundering was 14%. This is something I imagine requires a lot of coordination and you want to discuss over encrypted chat. Murder was 11.46. of the arrests were for murder. That is really, really high. Did they confess to the murders over chat? Was there like a group chat for serial killers to talk about their crimes or something? No, I think that virtually all of that was probably related to other crimes, like drug drug dealers talking about killing other drug dealers, things of that nature. I don't think it was straight up murder unrelated to other nefarious actions. And this goes back to not documenting your crimes. Like you do, if you do a crime, you just shut up about it and never tell anyone else about it. If it doesn't need to be talked about, like some things like money laundering and drug trafficking, you have to do some coordination, but like, it just seems yeah. stupid to me. Like, hey, well, I, I just mean, aced Polly. Sorry about that. Well, how many times have we heard about people posting crime, criminal activity on their Facebook and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that? It's just like, yeah, man. Yep. And the last one was a firearms trafficking is 6.5%, uh, 6.45%. So I see gun controls working. Flawlessly. So like I said before, only 10% of the folks using it were arrested. So... I don't know if that means the other 90% were not criminals, better at OPSEC, still being monitored. Yeah. Well, it's possible that they did not, none of of their communications related to criminal activity between March and June. And then they threw out the the handset when they were notified of, hey, this is a problem. Yeah. Uh, And they just kind of dodged that bullet, I think. They're taking a vacation from their criming and we're like, (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh, So why does this matter? Don't use specifically criminal services if you can avoid it. The government is targeting those. Uh, I have to remind myself, every couple of months, I think to myself how cool it would be to go do dark web like research and stuff. And I should be like, you know what? No, because I would have to go get an untraceable laptop. It's a pain in the ass. And then I'm going to look like a criminal if the government goes ever takes over that forum. So yeah, don't use specifically criminal services if you can avoid it. If you care about OPSEC, whether you're a privacy advocate, a revolutionary, a criminal, or an Antifa super soldier, encryption doesn't mean you get to just send anything without consequence. Like David said, their encryption is never the target. The encryption rarely gets broken. It's the implementation. In this case, it's because they send all the messages to a central location where it could be monitored, which I just stole David's last comment. Sorry about that. No, it's a gift. (laughs) You're making me sound smart. All right. Well, that looks like that's all the articles we have for today. Thank you for joining us. Follow us at Serengeti Sack on Twitter. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And remember, we will be out for the next two weeks. So see you in three weeks. Bye.